Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Yo, hello and welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael. Thank you so much for joining us today for episode 40, where we're going to have a discussion about streaming and sort of the state of streaming within a DJ environment. There's a lot going on in this space right now, and so we wanted to take uh, an episode to just kind of hash that out and talk about what the options are and where we think that things are going in the DJ space when it comes to streaming audio. Uh, But before we get into that, I wanted to just take a moment to make an important announcement, which is that the Passionate DJ Podcast has now surpassed 25,000 downloads. And in fact, as of the recording of this episode, uh, by the time this goes live and um, everybody starts listening to it, we'll be pushing about 27,000 downloads, which is um, a small milestone to be sure, but is very significant because... Uh, so the Passionate DJ podcast has been running since about mid-2013. And in the space between then and uh, about the first three years of its existence, we had about a total of 10,000 downloads over that three-year span. And in the last three months, we have gone from 10,000 downloads when we announced that several episodes ago to 25,000. So our rate of growth is increasing very quickly, which is very exciting. And, you know, we have all of you great listeners to thank for that. So the first thing that I want to do is thank you, the listener, for supporting the Passionate DJ podcast. You know, we've met uh, uh, and talked to a lot of people who are really supporting the show. They like what we're doing, where we're going with it. Um, And, you know, we've got a lot of great uh, supporters out there and ambassadors for the show. So thank you guys so much for joining us on this journey of growth as we continue to try to help others uh, become better DJs just as we are, you know, trying every day and every every gig to become better DJs through passion and purpose. So having you along for the ride is extremely helpful, and we're glad to have you on board. And I also wanted to take a moment to thank Tony DeSero and Trip. Turlington, my co-hosts, for everything that they're doing to make this a possibility. You know, for uh, the the first couple of years of the podcast existence, it's just been me and the occasional guest. And you know, I was releasing sporadic episodes. It was just kind of whenever I had time to do it. And as Passionate DJ has begun to grow, uh, the blog was getting a lot more attention and. There was a lot going on, and I really wanted to put a shift of focus towards the podcast. And I knew that I was not able to do that on my own uh, sufficiently. So I knew that the first thing that I needed to do was to start releasing on a consistent schedule, which is why the Passionate DJ podcast uh, is now a weekly show when we come out every Monday. Um, You know, so for those of you who are. Uh, you know, early adopters and were really following us and stuff. There's a couple of you know a couple of people who would listen every time, but since there was no real consistent schedule and was just kind of coming out whenever, it's hard to make a, a periodical kind of show that way. And so, um, you know, I was spending a lot of time trying to do editing and graphics and you know write for the blog and do the whole thing all by myself and it was too much and you know passionate dj is not the only other thing that i do i'm also a business owner um i'm a parent and uh you know somewhere in there i'd like to work in working on my own music right so i knew i needed some help and uh that's where trip came in initially to to help do uh so trip produces our episodes now he does our editing and publishing and that way I'm able to focus a little more on planning and developing content and uh, running the show outside of doing the, the editing. Um, so that's kind of how the conversation started. Um, and I went to Tony about this and started talking to him about what my struggles were and you know, also talking about what I, what I really think that the show needs is a little bit of uh, more 
more banter. You know, it, it needs to be more conversational because my favorite episodes were the ones where I had a guest on and it just sounded like us having a cup of coffee and having a chat. And I said, I would like to have that be more of the norm. And next thing you know, we had a couple of conversations and Tripp and Tony were f- fully on board and willing to help. And uh, so here they are. So now we've got a more conversational show. We've got a consistent release schedule. Everybody knows that uh, every Monday, generally, a new episode comes out unless there's you know an emergency or something like that. Um, we've got a lot more angles to cover now. We've got a lot of more varied areas of expertise and experience. Um, and so... Uh, it's it's really been nice to to get these guys involved, and they have just really been a huge part of making the podcast grow as quickly as it has since the beginning of the year. Uh, so uh, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you know Tony for his. I mean, Tony just brings a lot to the table. He's extremely knowledgeable. He's got very wide areas of expertise. He's been doing this for ages. And not only DJing, but throwing shows on, you know, from the the local small gathering of heads to uh, pretty large scale shows and has stage management experience. And he's got all these different things to bring to the table. He's got a lot of great ideas. Uh, a lot of the topics that we've talked about on the show in the past three months have been uh, stuff that Tony's come up with off the top of his head. Uh, he helps give us a great place to record, whether that's at his house or helping us get set up with Dayton Studios for special events, um, reaching out to his network and, and all this stuff. He's really helped us out. And uh, my favorite thing about Tony is that he's very passionate about what he does. And he has a lot to say on the matter. And I'm glad to uh, be able to put a microphone in front of his face and have him share those thoughts with people because I don't think... Uh, I think he's got a lot to say that not everybody was able to hear before. Um, and with Trip, you know, coming in, editing, producing the show, you know, he has taken a huge weight off of my shoulders so that I can focus on making Passionate DJ better overall, whether that's the, the podcast itself or the other things that I've got going on outside of the show with, you know, writing articles and trying to set up sponsorships and trying to make Passionate DJ more sustainable for the long haul and you know we want this to be the best resource it can be and uh, you know on top of just getting all the mechanics going and, and making sure that the machine the well-oiled machine keeps running you know Tripp's very chatty he gives the podcast a, a much better flow it's much more conversational he's great at kind of countering me and you know pr- just providing some banter and, and playing devil's advocate and really just moving the show along um, he's not afraid to make decisions as, as far as editing and publishing and when it comes down to crunch time and he knows stuff needs to get done, he goes and does it and we have that level of trust, you know, the three of us between us to make sure that all, that all gets done. Um, and he's also bringing a lot of experience to the table. And so, uh, you know, we, we all play on different platforms and we all play different kinds of music, but we all have very similar approaches and that's why I'm super happy to have these guys on board. So they had no idea that I was doing this little solo bit before episode 40 to uh, talk them up. Um, and they are not the only ones that are making this possible. I want to thank uh, Mike Donovan of That Boy Creative for helping me get all the new imagery squared away. And for those of you who have visited the site recently, you've noticed that things are starting to look a lot prettier. And we have Mike to thank for that. Um, we've got Jay Day at Dayton Studios for helping us to uh, have a great place to record guests. Um, and there's just uh, Kilma who comes in and helps me with content all the time um, behind the scenes and uh, also coming on the show as a guest occasionally. And just everybody who has really been here, whether you're new to the podcast or you've been here since day one, thank you guys so much. And also, uh, please don't hesitate to thank my co-hosts because they are the ones that are making this possible. So, all that being said, now that we've had that big bro hug moment, um, I do have a voicemail that I'm going to go ahead and address now from Lala. And uh, once we're done with that, then we will get right on to the main topic of streaming. Hi, my name is Lala, and um, I just started DJing. And this is a silly question, maybe, but um, I'm wondering how you feel about using uh, mixes or mixing remixes that are already mixed, if that makes sense. Uh, like, you know, um, taking 
taking someone else's DJ mix and then putting it into your own uh, as far as playing um, at parties and like for live audiences. All right. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Lala. Uh, no, no worries. No, uh, it's not a silly question. Thank you for submitting that. Um, so my suggestion would be, I wasn't entirely sure what you meant, but I think what you're asking is, is it okay to do uh, what we might call set rips? So taking either a song that is unreleased that another DJ is playing, or maybe they have their own remix of it or an edit or a live mashup that they've done, or maybe just a couple of tracks that are overlaid that work well together, something that they've done in a live environment, and you're wanting to know if it's okay to play that in your own sets. Um, It's something that I would generally stray away from, and there are a couple of reasons. Uh, The first is kind of a techie reason. Um, If you're pulling audio out of just about anywhere that you're going to get it from so soundcloud uh youtube something like that some streaming service whatever it is there's already some level of file compression that is happening on that audio and so the more times you do that uh you know get an mp3 file which is already compressed and then uploaded to soundcloud which is compressed again and then download it and then use it in your set and then record it and compress it again you're doing a lot to degrade your audio quality every time you do that and so that that plays a factor and the other thing is is it really necessary for you to do that from a creative standpoint so Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have never, ever ripped something out of a set to use in a live environment. I've maybe done it two or three times in 10 years because there was just something that I absolutely needed to have and made sense for the show and needed to play and and something. But as a general rule, I stay away from it. You know, there are a number of factors that that take hold there, but um, I guess the view that I take on that is that we all have access to so much music and with digital DJing taking hold the way that it has and all the different options and tools that we have, there is so much that we can do with audio um, on our own that it's not really necessary to do that. So I'm not going to give you a hard no, don't ever do that because your question was a little like uh, generic. And so if it was more specific, I might have more strong you know strong thoughts about it Um, but in general it is something that I stay away from uh, just because I would rather take my own approach to the audio that's being manipulated so uh, definitely you know do whatever it is that you do and make maybe you have something specific in mind from a creative standpoint that you want to do with that and uh, at the end of the day my general rule is if it sounds good it is good so that is something to keep in mind Um, So hopefully that helps, Lala, and thank you so much for sending in your voicemail. And everybody who's listening, uh, don't forget, you can also leave a voicemail, whether that's to ask a question, uh, leave a comment, whatever it is that you want to do. Just go to passionatedj.com. It's actually a lot easier than it used to be. All you have to do is just go to the homepage, and there's a button that says, leave me voicemail. Just click it, and it'll pop right up. You don't even have to go away from the page. It just uh, comes up in a light box. You can leave your voicemail using your phone or your tablet or your microphone or webcam or whatever it is, and leave us a voicemail, and we would love to have a chat with you. All right, so without further ado, let's move right on to our main topic of streaming. Well, you guys want to talk streaming a little bit? Yeah, let's roll with it. Okay. Uh, so Serato announced, I'm pulling up, a, I got a digital digitaldjtips.com article for this, Serato 1.9. Uh, they're talking about they've incorporated music streaming into Serato, the latest version of Serato. So it's integrated with Pulse Locker. Um, and so this is, they're out of beta now. This is like an official release. Yeah, unfortunately, as of this recording, I, I, I'm a Serato user and I'm still at 1.8. I saw the email come through to say, hey, you can up, upgrade now. And I just, I have not yet. So um, I'm cool to talk about it, but I am not, uh, I haven't had a chance to actually review it yet. So all I have right now are opinions. Let me ask this because <laughs> I'm not a Serato user. What is Pulse Rocker? So Pulse Locker is a, um, 
it's a, it's a streaming service. So all of these labels, uh, basically put their catalogs into a pot mm-hmm. and pulse locker, it rents you the music or leases you the music. Yeah, so, so it's kind somewhere of like be- a Spotify. Yeah. Somewhere okay. between Spotify and like record pool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so what I have read on it is that Pulse Locker integrates with Serato. I think they're working on uh, a record box release as well. And what if so for I think there's a free account or or no there's there's a there's two tiers of, a, of an account. There's like a ten dollar a month uh, account, a twenty dollar a month account, or something like that. Yeah, the, they only mention in on digital DJ tips. They say nineteen ninety nine a month to subscribe. Right. So the the twenty the twenty dollar level. Allows you while you're online, you can go out there and you can pick a bunch of songs. You can pick any songs in the entire catalog. And, you know, so there, I don't know who, how many labels or distributors are involved in it. I'm going to assume it's a lot. Um, but you pick whatever music you want, it downloads to your machine mm-hmm. and then it is playable through Serato at any, and, and then if you leave your internet connection, that's what the cheaper one, the the cheaper uh, tier, will not allow. So as oh, you, so it's live only. You can't right, do offline. Right, but if traits. you pay if you pay the higher amount, the twenty dollars a month, then you can play those on uh, offline. So I would so never it's, it's, rely on a service instead of using right, Spotify right. as your player. You use Serato and vinyl when you're connected or to whatever, the internet or whatever. Right, right, right. So you can use outside of Serato. You can use a controller or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But does it have to be... But it has to be played through Serato software. Or whatever other... They're they're integrated with a few other ones, too. Okay. So, yeah. And uh, Serato Rekordbox, and there were a few other... You don't technically own the track. You can just play it at any time. You you are leasing the track. It's like renting, yeah. Yeah. So, um, the... Yeah. So... But what it does is it gives you... It it gives a, a better answer to is it really legal for me to DJ this music <laughs> because or, they actually have the deals in place? Pretty much it's putting the money back into the producer's pocket. I don't know uh, about well, the producer. Mm, yeah, I, I, would, say, think I would say there. this is a new revenue stream for labels and distributors. Yeah. Um, yeah, Pulse Locker claims to be the only legal music streaming option that you can DJ with legally in public sets. So basically it gives them a way to pay royalties, but the royalties are still going to... The label, which mm-hmm. right. so they say they have a catalog of forty-four million songs so far. Yeah, mm. I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not sure how that compares to Serato. I didn't look that up, or not Serato, Spotify. But I didn't look that up. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, speak of the devil, uh, Spotify. So there's there's all kinds of stuff happening with this whole streaming thing right now. So Spotify is trying to raise money to compete with Apple Music because now Apple Music is suddenly a huge competitor in the streaming space, like out of nowhere. (laughs) And they're also, and uh, Spotify is also integrating with uh, Serato uh, in their Pyro software. Mm, Yeah. Yep. And then uh, SoundCloud just announced their streaming service, SoundCloud Go. Right. uh, Which is more just, uh, that's for, not for DJs, that's just for consuming music right right but um which that's uh, 9.99 a month i've got a dj mag article open for them they say according to the press release soundcloud go will be free for the first 30 days and 9.99 a month on ios thereafter um let's see there's also been mention of offline playback for subscribers so but it's it's just a listening platform right um there i had an article here it is Dancing Astronaut again. They said that we tried out SoundCloud Go so you don't have to. <laughs> um, I'll just read the so the last paragraph. <laughs> I mean, and, and before you go any further, the only reason that strikes me as funny as it does is because how many people, myself included, have you heard for years about how buggy SoundCloud yeah. is? In so many different areas, like, you know, whether it's the server is down or it takes you eight hours to upload one track or, you know, or it takes you eight times to try to upload one track or, you know, it just, there's so many different, like there for the longest time when they did the site redesign, 
they had half of the site in the new design and yeah. then all of the like settings and account pages in the old design. It was just, and they allowed you to switch back and forth and it was just like, yeah, you had to click, click and go to original version to do anything. <laughs> right. So yeah, just the, the tagline. So you don't have to yeah. struck me funny. I love it. I well, love in, dancing astronaut in one of their uh, introductory paragraphs. They it's titled familiar aesthetic. And they say the first thing one notices about SoundCloud Go is that it looks and works exactly like the, exactly the same as the previous version. This is one of the platform's better aspects is there's no learning curve to tackle when making the transition. But the aesthetic and operational sameness also proves to be a fitting portent for the lack of, Im- <laughs> lack of improved uniqueness, functionality, or convenience that SoundCloud Go offers. So they're, they're kind of <laughs> slamming them. They're right, saying, right. Yeah, it's more SoundCloud. Right. So everything, all the problems, that everything you're complaining about with SoundCloud, you're paying for it now. I right, guess. right, right. And, and, you know, and that's all kills fair. kills me. Yeah, know. that's all fair. I mean, SoundCloud's had their own, you know, th- their own woes for how long now? I mean, we've been all bitching about uh, SoundCloud and, and the, the crap that's been going on with them for better part of, what, two years? Ever since they got in bed with all the major labels. So... They say SoundCloud has been under enormous strain lately, facing consistent heavy revenue loss and long legal battles with labels. Yep. As music streaming takes over the industry, the pressure to monetize content and bow to corporate interests has backed the company into a shrinking corner. The new Go platform is SoundCloud's last-ditch effort to compete with Spotify and Apple, but it needs serious improvement before it can be a viable alternative. That's, man, SoundCloud. Yeah, that's pretty scathing. They're getting I a mean, lot of really, yeah, scathing... Uh, articles coming out about SoundCloud. It's, it's kind of painful to watch for me because I, you know, I, most people that I know just just like to piss and moan about SoundCloud. But right, right. I, I thought that it was a really great platform and that it. I still feel like it has a lot of potential, but Absolutely. I see them. You know, there's so much going wrong with it right now. And you know, Passionate DJ Podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. Absolutely. I want them to succeed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, so it's it's just painful to watch all these. You know, justified or not, all the just. Yeah. negative stuff flying around about them. I have seen much worse websites. And quite honestly, up until now, like I'm not an Apple guy and I quite frankly don't like it, iTunes or any of that. Like none of that has ever been a, an intuitive thing for me. So I've never really gravitated towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what Apple's thing looks is going to look like. I'll talk about that a little bit. Right. But as far as SoundCloud, up until this Apple thing came out, find me a, a decent alternative that is as autonomous because yeah. SoundCloud links are every freaking where. Mm-hmm. You can post it any freaking where. And it's just, you know, it, it yes, it had it, it has its problems, but it still works and you can use it, yeah. you know, and, uh, to me, it looks good. I love the whole waveform thing. I just, it, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it's there and it works. As soon as you start looking for alternatives, then all of a sudden you don't, you realize that SoundCloud isn't that bad. <laughs> like, oh, you know what it's like is, um, it's like Napster. Like when yeah. it came along and it was like, boom, we are, we are the one. Right. <laughs> and then they got huge and then suddenly all the attention was pointed at them and they're like, Eek! Like they shrink into a corner because suddenly there's a big legal problem here. Right. And SoundCloud's kind of facing a similar problem. Yeah, but in in the absence of Napster, then we got Kazaa yeah. <laughs> and Morpheus. Morpheus and, 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 <laughs> right? and none of that was Soul good Seek. at all. <laughs> like, Soul Seek was good. LimeWire. Yeah. Oh, God. LimeWire. Lime More like VirusWire. Right. <laughs> like, but yeah, no, SoulSeek was pretty good. I, I I used that for for quite a while too. But yeah, no, I you know every and everybody automatically points to you know well if you don't like SoundCloud go use MixCloud. Well, that's all fine and good. Those are two different things though. Exactly, MixCloud doesn't. Mixcloud is where you go for what people, what DJs have been using SoundCloud for, not exactly. what it was designed for. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah. Well, speaking of those kind of legal issues, that's I think that's why Apple Music has really caught everyone's attention. Um, you know, digital DJ tips. 
They start out uh, DJs who for for years have been increasingly frustrated at having their mixes, mashups, and remixes removed from SoundCloud have a new savior. By the way, this article is titled Bye Bye SoundCloud, Hello Apple Music. Right. So yeah, I, <laughs> everybody's I, making these kind of statements. Yeah, I saw that one pop through the other day. Uh, in a new deal just inked between the niche legal DJ mix site Dubset and the huge Apple Music streaming service, DJs will be able to upload their work legally to Apple Music and see it available worldwide to the service's 11 million and growing subscribers. So... This will be possible because of the twin proprietary track ID analysis technologies. Ooh, I can't believe I got through all that. <laughs> There's not an acronym we can use for that? <laughs> Used by Dubset. So they have these two technologies. One's called MixBank and one's called MixScan. Okay. I don't know exactly how they work, but basically they are able to identify bits of a song within other tracks. So it allows the original creators or rights holders to... Uh, get compensated to get royalties. So if if Trip goes on and makes a, a mashup of something like a pop song and uploads it to Apple Music, he can legally do that and the label who owns the rights to that are okay with it because they're like, yeah, we're getting royalties. So it's it's really an interesting So the royalties come from the subscriber? Yes. Uh fees? Yes. As I understand it. Huh. Do you have to be a subscriber to upload? Because uh, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, okay, so how is Apple making this work where SoundCloud could not? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because so, it seems like, you know, SoundCloud in, in lieu of, you know, I, I mean, I, I paid for my SoundCloud for I don't know how long. And yeah, we had a bunch of, you know, free, uh, you know, there was a free option there. But I just, you know. If if what they're going to try to do is, and maybe it's just because they've got more people, I, I don't know. I don't know how that works, but I'm, I'm just curious. Well, it looks like, I mean, Apple Music, you know, they've probably sat and watched what's happening to SoundCloud, and SoundCloud was not built with this sort of model in mind, so they're like, okay, we see a hole opening up here. Right. <laughs> we right. can fill this, this spot in and fix this problem. Sure. So... Uh, it says the way it works is that you submit a track or a mix to Dubset, which analyzes the, the audio and IDs the tracks included in it. When it finds a match, it checks the owners of the tracks and if there are any restrictions on them. If the audio doesn't get flagged, it goes through the streaming service. Uh, and not only do the labels, publishers, and original composers get paid, but also the creator of that remix, mixtape, or mashup. Hmm. So in other words, for the first time ever in music streaming history, DJs will finally get a piece of the pie, although the size of, the size of that said slice has not yet been revealed. <laughs> and I would imagine, unless you've pennies. got... Yeah, you're, I mean, even fractions of pennies, unless you are able to get those play counts up. So is it going to be like one of those things where, because uh, if it's a streaming service, would I as a DJ be able to upload a mix and then share that mix with through this service and then the more clicks that I get or the more the more get listens paid. I get the more I would get paid or yeah or is it more like Pandora where they just put it in a queue and then people who search for a specific type of music yeah, then yours just gets thrown in the queue and if it gets played then here's your penny I don't know penny. that they've given that much detail yet. Right, I don't think right. anybody quite knows. Oh, uh, okay. Or at, le at least I haven't done that much research on right. it. Right. I haven't either, but let's see. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Oh, so they mentioned at the bottom, for those who have been following, this is essentially what SoundCloud has been trying to do by tying up with Zephyr, which is a track ID and content analysis tech, behind, uh, which is what is behind YouTube. Right. Um, but is it too little, too late, is what they're saying, basically, right. for SoundCloud. You know, they might be screwed. Uh, there'll be no word yet on when you'll be able to upload your mixes and mashups, so only time will tell if this will be the final nail in the SoundCloud coffin. So yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's kind of fascinating to watch just from the from the tech side, like how they're right. trying to fix this this problem. I'm glad that there are solutions in in the works too, for sure. I don't I like just, that it's Apple though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and and, and let me let that's me fair because they're like they were the ones that brought DRM into the picture. Right. And, and, and I was gonna say, let me let me clarify that it's not just because I'm an anti Apple guy. <laughs> I mean. Um, you know, I mean, and and 
before anybody sends me any hate mail, if you like Apple, by all means, do you boo? Like I just, <laughs> you know, it's just not for me. I don't hate anybody that ha- that has it. It's it. That's all. Whatever. And Tony have MacBooks sitting in front of us right. now. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the little Apple icons on your laptop lids are like burning, burning your eyes, it's burning my retinas. Like ah! <laughs> no, I kid, I kid. Um, but to your point, you know, I mean, I can remember a time where. You know, uh, yeah, like you said, there there was DRM that was brought into the fold. And then there was even talk about, um, like, at concerts that Apple wanted to uh, be able – or there were companies that were developing technology to work with Apple phones so that they could disable your cameras so that you wouldn't be able to take live video of a, a performer while you're there. You know, it just – the and when you're working within the Apple – static clean room, you know, that is the Apple environment. If you are not playing with that, then, you know, they they exclude a lot of things. Hell, you can't even download, or at least according to my wife, you can't even download a ringtone that you've made. (laughs) Like, if you make a ringtone, you can't put that on your phone where... Why not? It's an audio file. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they they really... Apple likes to keep you within their ecosystem. Exactly. Yeah, I see where that nervousness comes in. Yeah, so for me, not being an Apple guy, like I don't have, I don't even put QuickTime on my computer, even if something (laughs) asks that, hey, I need this to work. Well, then guess what? I'm not using your software. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, so would I have to embrace some segment of the Apple culture or, or ecosystem in order to participate, and I'm isn't I'm it kind of funny how quickly the 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 chatter has changed on this though? Because we went, you know, talking about the the DRM stuff. For those who don't know what we're talking about, it's digital rights management. So for a long time, or for, you know, initially, iTunes was offering uh, music downloads, but they they were tagged so that they could only be, you know, they were basically trying to make it so that only you could play it on your devices. So right. your iPod, your MacBook, your whatever. Yep. Um, and this was an, uh, you know, an attempt against uh, music piracy. And everybody threw a fit because they're like, no, no, I want to own my own music and you can't tell me what to do with my own music. But now Apple is going to take the music and rent it back to us. And we're like, <laughs> yay, <laughs> finally a solution. Well, <laughs> and just here's- so funny. It's with Apple, the the crazy part is they still haven't even fixed it all the way. Mm. Like my wife has had multiple Apple products, so she's had iPods and iPhones and ta- the iPads and all that stuff. So the crazy part is that she not only has two IDs of her own, but then she's also had to sign up one of my email addresses in order to try to merge things together, because at one point she went from one device to another device. But like something didn't carry over or she had to use a different email address and they've never been able to merge that stuff. So she's got an account that has a bunch of stuff, you know, you know, music and, 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 you know, all that, all ringtones and all that stuff on one account that she can access if she signs in with that account. Uh, <laughs> but she, she uses this other account that she's also had for, you know, 10 years or however long. So like it's, and you well, know, now that we're, we're in such a convenience culture now, especially with tech that mm. it's like, ain't, ain't nobody got time for all that. Like, right, right, <laughs> Nobody's right. going to fool around with that kind of thing. Exactly. So, you know, then there was like some kind of a workaround or whatever, but they've, and they've been promising, you know, for years. Yeah, we'll, we'll get that fixed. We'll get that fixed. We'll get that fixed. No, you didn't. (laughs) What do you guys think about the use of streaming in general in a DJ setting? I hate it. Really? I'm not a fan. I'm, and I, and I hate that I hate it because Here's 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 the problem that I have with it. Sure, it's 44 million songs. Where if we if we talk about Pulse Locker specifically, um, yeah, it's 44 million songs. And if there's 10 million DJs in the world, no no two DJs are going to play the exact same songs, you know, the exact same way, and all that, blah 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 blah. But it's still like. I, I think I know where you're going, or at least I have I have an, my own angle on that. It, does it have something to do with 
there being just another barrier to getting music because the barrier being, I guess, uniqueness, you know? Okay. And, and, and I get it. There's 44 million songs. You know, you can be as unique as you want to be with 44 million songs. I, I, I will not dispute that, but if, so let's say I'm playing and let's say Tony's playing after me <laughs> and let's say Tony doesn't care if he plays, you know, the same song that three other DJs have played in the same night or whatever. And let's say I play a track and he's standing behind me, looks at my screen, sees what I got. And then he logs into his pulse locker, downloads <laughs> that same track. And then as soon as he gets up there, then he plays the exact same track. And, you know, I mean, that's no different from what a lot of, you know, DJs have been doing forever. You know, you just had to have a little bit better eyes you know, to look at the labels, you know. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. I, I, like, I'm, I'm not vehemently against it. I'm going to give it a try, you know, and maybe it'll make me a believer or whatever. But I just maybe it's because I write some of my own music that I play out or or because I, I did come from a time where, I, you know, I was in record pools and stuff like that. So I had a bunch of white labels that nobody ever knew what it was until it actually came out on a, you know, out with an actual sleeve <laughs> in a record store and stuff like that. I, I don't know. I just. I guess if I can devil's advocate you. Sure. On this. Um I guess the the place I would start is just because the tools there doesn't mean you have to use it for everything. So right. it doesn't prevent you from using from playing whatever you want. Yeah. So like I kind of consider it having a crate of 44,000 records and also whatever I have in addition to that. Sure. So and that's and that's why I said that I hate that I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, because I'm 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 not so against it that I don't see that value. Like yeah. I, I I totally get that. It, I just uh, it's one of those things that I I've moved to streaming on every in every other aspect of my life. Like I'm all in on Netflix and Hulu and right. Spotify just as a consumer. Right. Um, the only digital media that I quote unquote own or have local copies of um, are the things that I play out. Right. Um, and it's hard for me to just call that anything other than a technological problem that was waiting to be solved. Because sort of. now that, you know, initially it was like, okay, I don't want to play off Spotify. I'm not relying on somebody's Wi-Fi and that sort of thing. But now they've got, you know, these offline solutions and it, it's just, it's more of like, you know, like set a record pool kind of situation. Um, first of all, there's definite value in it for top 40 Absolutely. top DJs and, yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wedding and, and, yep. and so on. Um, yep. I would, it seems silly to not have that service day one. Yeah. If that's, if, <laughs> if that's that, what you do. Well, I mean, if for nothing else, especially if you're at a venue where you have Wi-Fi available to you and you take requests and you take requests. Absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah. That's a savior. It's a miracle. Right yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's important to point out, yeah, especially if this is somebody's first time listening to this episode, we all do that kind of, Undergroundy club type DJing, yeah. so that puts that spin on what yeah. we're talking about. And I, and I mean, I've done the wedding stuff, I've done the the corporate event stuff, and I've done um, strip clubs. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've done a little bit of everything. Um, so, it, uh, for me, I just so I, I absolutely see the the value in that. One of the problems that I think I have when they say we have forty four million songs. Is one I want to I want to know like who the distributors and and labels mm -hmm. that are participating in it in because if like you know if some of the bigger names are not some of the bigger names are in there but like let's say you know a smaller label like the one I write for Base Industry mm -hmm. let's say they're not in there well you know why not you yeah. know I mean that's a it's a great label full of great artists and and uh, excluding myself like I mean it, it there there's some really top-notch people in there so what's what's the barrier of entry for the smaller label you know right and excluded? how long does it take for them to get music to us because right. like 
you know, another example might be something like Hot Creations. So, you know, well known enough that some of our listeners will be familiar, but it's not, you know, (laughs) one of the top three. Right, right. So if you have a label like that, do they release to all their channels at the same time or do we have to wait to get it on streaming Right. until they sort out the rights and the blah, blah, blah. And that's where I was going to go next is so then... One of my biggest complaints about your Hulus and your Netflixes are those rights and contracts and negotiations. Mm-hmm. Um, you right, know, and are those- we going to end up with split streaming services where I can't play I can't play uh, Seth Troxler stuff because I signed up with Apple Music or whatever instead of Pulse Locker? Right, or, or even worse, you know, periodic contract renewals where. Mm. You know, all of a sudden, you know, Sony and and Netflix decide they're not going to play well together anymore. And now all of a sudden, none of Sony's stuff is on Netflix anymore. So what if that happens? And half my crates are all screwed up. Exactly. You know, so even if I get offline playability, the next time I, you know, sync up, uh, you know, at home on my Wi-Fi, and then all of a sudden, all this stuff that I had downloaded that I was going to play out next weekend, and it's no longer there because the contracts couldn't get renewed. It takes a certain element of control away. Right. Which as DJs is is very uncomfortable. <laughs> and that's if, because I'm very much like you. I, 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 I do Netflix. I do, uh, Hulu. Um, I, I'm only Spotify free. I don't, I, I haven't jumped into premium on that yet, but D I F M, uh, uh, Pandora even still today, you know, so I, I, I stream just about everything that I generally consume. But when it comes to what I'm going to play out, I still, own everything. I've, I have either written it myself or I have purchased it, you know, and, and I do that because of that whole, that I don't want the control of my artistry to be in somebody else's hands. Right. So I would rather pay for the music, support the label and the artist that is, you know, that, that the money goes to and know that, yes, I own that piece of music that I own, that physical copy and I can use it however I want in my set whenever I want. It's just, it's, it's tough because the, the, the further in we get with this stuff, the more the model of owning digital content, whatever that means, right, right, like seems archaic and it's, it's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around, like, does it really make sense for me to have anything on my hard drive when it comes to this <laughs> stuff? You know, like, it's, I'm not there yet. And, you know, I'm coming at this as somebody who's like, I've lived in tech my whole life. Right, you right. You know, I was teaching myself how to program basic when I was in kindergarten. Like, right. I wasn't good at it, but <laughs> but I was interested is what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, for sure. So this stuff is, is, it's hard for me to let go of from the tech geek standpoint. You know, like I, I was a file hoarder <laughs> and my dad is still a file hoarder. Really? He's got terabytes and terabytes of digital files. I have no idea why. Right. But dad, you can get rid of all that stuff and save yourself some anxiety about your hard drive dying. <laughs> like, what are you even worried about? Right. But when it comes to DJing, I, you know, I've always had those digital files. I had a reason to own those files. And the further in we get, you know, the tech seems to be quote unquote, solving these problems. And I, I wonder if I'm always going to feel that way. And I, I keep inching more and more towards this is the way of the future. We're not going to really hold anything or we, we might hold a it locally. Product. But it's the pricing model too. It's not just the tech. It's right. I could get on Beatport and spend $20 and have half a set or I could spend $20 and have the entire catalog. But that's also at $20 a month. So, you know, 20 times Yeah, but 12. I spend at least that on Beatport. Well, that, but that's, <laughs> that's where I was going with it. You know, I might But spend, you own that, right? You own that MP3 or that wave. Yeah. When you download it from Beatport? From, right, or right. Or wherever? Right. You, yes. you actually own it, but you pay $20 a month, you don't own it. You're right. Just, so if, if, but, if, but, but what if you, do I care if I'm using it as a, as a DJ tool or something? So let me ask you, know you know this. I mean? Let's say your financial situation changes- and then you have to cancel that that streaming service. Then it's gone. I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah. And I and and I'll and I'll it give you a last perfect, forever. I'll give you a perfect example. Microsoft had a service that was trying to compete with uh, Apple iPod. Zoom. Yeah. What was it like? 
2008 through 2010 ish. Um, yeah. And it was the Zune and be, me being the anti Apple guy, I bought a Zune and I even bought into their music rental mm. program so that I could, you know, uh, and it's the same, it's the exact same thing. It was, you know, however many thousands of songs or millions of songs and, you could search, they had a good searchable catalog database, whatever, download whatever you want. And it was something, it was, it was fairly cheap. I think it was seven or eight bucks a month, but you know, in the, um, in the wake of the recession, you know, I lost my job. I had to make some, I had to make some changes. Now, thankfully that wasn't my DJing music. That was just my personal listening music. I, I went all in on the streaming thing with that device. Um, but the problem there was, so as soon as I canceled that, well, then the next time my Zoom synced up and it says, eh, sorry, I'm a brick now, mm. you know? <laughs> like, you know, that's an interesting thing. What happens when, so <laughs> let's take a scenario of like, I get on, I don't know, Pulse Locker, I'm using Serato, I play a set, I record that set, and then I upload that set to Mixcloud or Apple Music or wherever it goes, SoundCloud, mm-hmm. And so now you're kind of double dipping. You're taking, okay, I paid for the rights to use this when I played it in my mix, but now I've got a recording of that mix and I'm posting it elsewhere. I wonder how that, I mean, that seems like a huge gray area, Mm. depending on what you do with it. Because I guess if you take it and put it right back up to one of those services that can detect that you're using it and then pay royalties to everyone, then everyone's happy. But that seems... You have Probably to have an awful lot of, con- <laughs> well, it, you have to be awfully confident to think that that's going to work a hundred percent all the time. I mean, there's a lot right. of variables that you're taking into account there, especially sure. when you're talking about people making mashups and stuff like how, it, at what point is, is a sample unrecognizable as being sampled? Right. Because I mean, you take somebody like Burial, uh-huh. you know, they take, he takes these, you know, R&B uh, samples like Beyonce and stuff, yep. and you would never know unless you looked it up. Right. He pitches them down and drowns them in reverb and does all these things to them. Yep. Um, but he's definitely using Beyonce. Would this technology pick up on that? You know, I have right. no idea. No clue. And it, it can't be perfect. I mean, my God, Shazam doesn't get it right that often. <laughs> right. You know, right? Yeah, we I can't just, detect keys properly half the time. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, uh, for me, I think it's, it's definitely something for me to try. It'll be another tool in the toolkit, I suppose. Um, you know, until I actually like upgrade to my Serato 1.9 and actually get in there and, and, and start playing with it. But maybe it's, it'll just be another one of those things that, you know, I have to kind of get over in my own mind by, by actually getting my hands dirty with it. You know, I just, I, I see too many issues for me to go all in or potential issues. I, I, they may have all this stuff worked out and they may put, you know, a lifetime guarantee stamp on it. Oh, okay. So if it's in our catalog now, it'll be there, you know, in 10 years, you know, whatever, you know, if, if there's some level of confidence in that, okay, fine. But just, you know, it, it just by looking at things like Hulu and and Netflix, you know, it, it, if those contract negotiations with distributors and, and label owners don't go, if those go any any anywhere near the same as as the television ones do, then I don't have any confidence in that at all. And if if I if I'm going to download something because I want to use it, then you bet your ass it's going to sit in my in my library for a while yeah. because even though I, I spend a, quite a bit on Beatport and Juno myself, but when I do that, I'm downloading things that I like and that I will use for, you know, years to come. I think my other kind of going back to the sort of the devil's advocate thing in favor of, of the streaming technology, um, it's one of those, this is the way it's going. Like we're we're not going to will our way out of it. This is the way that the tech is going. Sure. And so, 
the sooner we can figure out how to use it and accept it, probably the better. Because, I mean, if you think about how this is being set up, you know, just just three or four years ago, the idea of renting music to yourself was detestable. Oh yeah, and it's really not anymore. Like I people had, are accepting of this now. Because when I used that Zune, I had people that were like, "What do you mean you rent the music? That's that's ridiculous. That's so stupid." You know, yeah. I mean, how, this is the this is where we're at now. Right, Everybody right. uses Google Drive and Docs and keeps you know everything in the cloud wow. now. Yep. Um, you know. Where this generation of people is coming up, used they're used to microtransactions on their tablets and phones for digital products that don't exist at all. Nothing is going to be tangible. Coins on Farmville. Yeah, I bought gems on Clash of Clans so that I could boost my nothing. You know, it's so and and they're. Making money doing this, Killing so it. yeah, yeah, for sure. For Candy Crush, yeah, this is clearly where we're gonna go with this. Is yeah. you know we're gonna have some form of music not existing as a physical product or as it already doesn't exist. It's either gonna be product, a one or a zero, right? <laughs> <laughs> but technically, it's gonna be both. But <laughs> <laughs> this being said, you know what else is up is vinyl sales and. I mean, like they, so according to Pitchfork, vinyl sales made more money than free streams last year. Now, disclaimer, they're basing that number on like retail sale of the LPs versus there's really no equivalent to streaming. So, you know, quote unquote wholesale value or whatever. So it's a little of a lopsided figure, but still the point is that, um, you know, last year LP and EP sales rose to their highest level since 1988. So there's a market for tangible music and it's still growing. Mm -hmm. You know, this has been on the rise since a little after the mid 2000s, I think. So, and it seemed, and I I feel like that's only going to keep happening because, you know, first of all, it's filling that niche of people who want to own a physical something that represents their music. But also the tech is coming in to replace, you know, for a while the problem was all the vinyl presses were broken, shut down, you know, people didn't make parts for them. There were only like one or two presses in the whole damn country. Well, and digital sales had, you know, taken so many people's Mm -hmm. attention away from it because it was so much cheaper and easily more, you know, instant gratification. I can download this now versus I either got to go to the record store or order it online and wait for it, that sort of thing. So there were a lot of different issues with that. But And we've got to be within a year or two of of it being reasonable to just print records at home that sound as good as vinyl. I mean, that's not far away. They're already toying with it. Yeah. Show me. And, right? <laughs> and then I, I did an article on Passionate DJ at some point yeah. about that. I'll have to see if I can dig it up. Maybe you can drop it in the show notes. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and then on top of that, even that aside, just the, the online service industry you know, there. I oh man, let me. I'll see if I can find it. But there's a service now that will let you press records, and it's like you don't have to buy a lot of 500. You know, in really? order to do it, it's like a reasonable. Let me see if I can pull that up. Yeah. So I mean, these these problems are being fixed, and now you know, with the resurgence of vinyl and the tech coming together at the same time, you know, that's that's still a thing. So it's it's interesting to see how that's kind of divided things. Okay, we're going this way of music rental and not really owning thing in the cloud and blah, blah, blah. And then records being strong as they've ever been. It's it's right. it's an interesting dichotomy. Yeah, you know? I, I totally agree with that. Um, and and I, I have found myself buying more vinyl for stuff that I listen to, still not what I would DJ out. And, yeah. and, and it's a lot more, um, I, I still reserve that cash, yeah. you know, transaction for artists that I really like or yeah. really believe in. So like atmosphere, you know, I mm-hmm. bought their Southside uh, album on, on, on vinyl and blueprints last one. I, I bought that on vinyl and, and well, we and all come from a place where owning that 
seeing the album artwork and smelling the record when yeah, it comes out yeah, and absolutely. hearing the static when you, yep. when you pull the paper off or, or open the CD or whatever it is. God, you just gave me chills, yeah. man. <laughs> Let's go to we, the record store. It brings us back somewhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Know, that absolutely. maybe, not, I, I wouldn't say not everybody gets nowadays because I, now it's a thing again, so maybe they do, right. you know, but... Uh, the service is called Crates, by the way. It's spelled with a Q, so Q-U-Q-R-A-T-E-S. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, this is on djworks.com. They say, uh, so they talk about, they have this actual design thing on there. So it pops up like a little app. I'll show you guys a picture here where you actually design the look of the record. Wow. Like, you know, paint it on there or whatever. No so it's kidding. colored, marbled, whatever kind of vinyl. Design it and then... Uh, Let's see, either, let's see, Crates lets you design your vinyl either for pre-orders or to self-fund and sell independently or through stores that want copies. The service takes a 15% cut along with any record cost, leaving it to the artist to decide the retail price. That might seem like a big slice, but it's probably less than a record label would take, and they probably end up doing more for the artist. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, you know, on the one hand, we've got this, uh, we're all going the way of streaming and things aren't the same, and but... We've got this resurgence of this vinyl and then this technology coming to make it possible again. Right. It's kind of cool to watch, you know. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree. You know, I've I've talked with a couple of label owners before and and you know, some of them are even saying, you know, da- digital downloads are uh, in the words of one in particular, he he said digital downloads are dead. You know, the days of of making good money as an artist or a label from Beatport, Juno, or any of those download sites is is over. It, Did they ever make good money with that? Not sure. I, I would have. I would like to assume that. I mean, they I'm sure did. there's a couple of like top ten iTunes yeah. artists and stuff, but but like as far as Beatport, did they ever make their money on sales? Well, I'm, I'm sure some some of them had to, but now it's all. That's artificial. a real question. I'm not like questioning you. I'm yeah, no, I'm no, honestly I, curious. I, I don't know the unless, answer to that. I, I, I mean. It, just going off of what this guy said, I have to assume that he did at some point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, nowadays, in order to be a top 10 Beatport artist, you know, on any given, you know, um, uh, genre chart, it's basically payola. Yeah. You know, you have to go in with a label that has a bank stack ready to buy your own track. Your, your own yeah. track to boost it on the top 10. Yeah, to boost it up there. And not all the labels do it, but a good portion of them do. And, you know, so for a new artist to come in, you you may not ever see, the, you know, that up there. So, and, and Beatport is so saturated with so many artists, you know, so many songs, so many, you know, whatever... It's it's really hard to make that mark without that payola backing you. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I, I mean, anybody that you know drops a track on Beatport, yeah, that's great. Unless you are going to really push your own marketing campaign and put that in front of everybody. About <laughs> getting found in Beatport, right? Right. You know, I mean, it, it, that is just what it is. So now some of these labels are are looking less toward the digital download, mm-hmm. you know, route. And they're, they're looking more for, um, licensing. Mm. So instead of, you know, trying to make some money off of people downloading it or trying to, you know, squeeze whatever blood you can out of, out of the streaming services or whatever, they're all going, looking for licensing opportunities. Mm. So video games, commercials, yeah. movies, all of that type of stuff. And some of them are, are getting really, are having really good success with that. You know, I, I know a couple of artists specifically that, you know, sell two or three songs for five figures, wow. you know, uh, so, but just by selling the licensing rights. Wow. Yeah. So I tell you, just kind of as a side note, I've discovered some really cool music by uh, like indie games. Yeah. You know, they're just coming out with these cool, like especially these ones that are like kind of modeled after eight and 16 bit graphics and stuff. But then they have these like beautiful (laughs) synthy orchestral (laughs) soundtracks. I'm like, oh my, I love that trend. It's (laughs) so cool to me. If if only Final Fantasy one had that music soundtrack. I might still be playing that one today. <laughs> yeah, no, it, 
everything is changing and you know like i said i i don't i don't think i'm i'm rejecting the the streaming service for the sake of rejecting streaming in dj i think it's i just it's going to be growing pains until yeah it's yeah yeah and until those are those types of things are addressed i think i'll i'll play with it and i'll i'll tinker with it and and you know learn the the pain points but, so you're you're a Serato guy. Are you going to check out the free trial of Pulse Locker? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it comes with it, I mean, I'd be stupid not to. Maybe we can come back and chat about that in a future episode and let us know what you think. Or yeah. we could all get together and mess with it maybe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll, cool. I'll definitely do a, uh, yeah, we can do a, a, review, a, a review episode of it. Yeah, for yeah sure. that'd be cool. Yeah. All right, well, that's about going to wrap it up. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Passionate DJ Podcast and for our thoughts on streaming. If you want to support the show uh, today, let's do scroll down and leave a comment. I uh, really want to get the comments going, so just scroll down below this post if you're at the show notes or if you're on SoundCloud, you can do it right in line. Just leave us a comment and let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. Take care, guys, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. <laughs>